Welcome to True North Strong, a sports performance podcast, and I'm your host, Jay Malhado. Join me as I chat with some of the top sports performance practitioners from far and wide and discuss from a uniquely Canadian perspective all things sport and human performance. My goal is that within these conversations, we will uncover the through lines that connect us all. Welcome to uh, the next episode of True North Strong, a sports performance podcast. I'm really excited to have uh, Vince Lucente on, who is at Atlantic Sports Performance, uh, a couple of facilities, one in Bridgewater and one in Dartmouth, uh, Nova Scotia. And so Vince is, and I have crossed past uh, for a few years. Um, you know, he stepped in and, and worked at Seneca College after I had left and uh, worked with Joe and but we never kind of directly worked with each other, even at Humber when he was a, a student and, and a trainer working there. And I was in the high performance area, same thing, cross paths here and there. Um, so I'm excited to learn, you know, what he's been up to out East and, and how he's grown those two facilities uh, as we go. So welcome Vince. Thanks a lot, Jay. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's funny how it's wild, how fast and uh, like time has gone. It's it's crazy back in the Humber days, like, wow, nuts. It's, uh, yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of wild just how like fast life has gone since those days. Absolutely nuts. I don't think about like, again, early college often. It's just, yeah, what a wild ride, but nonetheless, uh, no, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to, to share today. Um, if you could just kind of go through that path, you know, we, we, talked a little bit about just now, but if you can go through the path and how you ended up there and kind of all the steps that have, have prepared you for, for the position you're in now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Keeping it simple. <laughs> what got me in Nova Scotia was uh, my girlfriend. So it was not a matter of uh, if, but when, and she's from Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, the town that we live in now. And uh, that was really a priority for us you know, a few years into our relationship was to, to get here. And I'll never forget the first time you know, I flew down here to visit her. Um, I was just blown away. I had never really had any intentions of ever even going to Nova Scotia for a vacation, but I, uh, yeah, she brought me down here one summer and, uh, and there was no looking back. It was, I want us to, you know, have a life here. And so it happened and it was just the universe kind of played itself out and, I was, uh, yeah, I was heading into my second year at Seneca and um, things were all renewed. Things were ready to go. And I kind of looked at going during 2020, which in hindsight now, you know, that wouldn't have happened. Right. Um, you know, kind of crazy how things are like when you see back in time and, and you know, look back. Um, but we had, you know, talked about going after that past year, you know, finishing off 2020, um, you know, at Seneca and then moving on. But I got a call from you know, Elliot at Acadia and uh, a few short weeks after I just, you know, I remember calling Nikki that day and saying, Hey, like we're going, we're, <laughs> we're moving <laughs> over. So, you know, Elliot called me and said, Hey, you got, two weeks, you know, can you make it down here? Would you like to start? And I said, you know, didn't even look back, just said, yes, ready to roll, traded in my car for an SUV to take on those uh, East coast winners. <laughs> and uh, next thing you knew, I was, you know, driving down here two weeks later and then starting uh, my job at Acadia. So yeah, I was there from uh, I, I, mid June, early mid June, I think the yeah, first week of June. And, uh, and I left Acadia uh, mid-November. Right. So 
Um, yeah, being at Acadia, I loved it. Again, all of the all of the resources in the world. Uh, it was a great opportunity, and Elliot had built a really massive and uh, successful um, high performance program there. You know, you had you know as a as a you know as a coach in that setting, you had full buy-in from the sports teams that you led. So I was um, with men's and women's basketball, men's hockey and women's rugby, and they were fully bought in. You had athletic therapy and their students. Um, you had a very robust internship program. So you had tons of support from the interns. We had uh, a lot of sport tech, beautiful facilities. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And just Wolfville in and of itself, what a gorgeous campus location. It was great. And, um, but for me at that time, it just, you know, Nikki had um, been in Ontario and she was moving in October. Okay. She had some previous work commitments. So uh, during that time, I, I realized, you know, I was living at her parents' house. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't sustainable for me to be impactful. That's when I kind of hit a, a turning point uh, in my career where I thought less of, you know, um, the title and just, you know, being in a leadership role in the varsity setting and uh, started really taking, thinking about myself and um, what I wanted from my life and, and how I wanted to define uh, my life as a person and uh, outside of the field. And at that time, I just didn't have a sustainable quality of life and it went to what I wanted at least. Right. Yep. For me, quality of life became everything. I knew that when Nikki was going to move down here end of October that, you know, this would be our time to start our lives together. And I just wasn't able to be uh, impactful at Acadia. And, um, you know, with that, it was, it was good. Right. And through, through that time, I learned a lot about myself. I learned that self-care is critical. Um, tending to one's own mental health, um, is critical, you know, knowing that in, in our field, it can be volatile. There's a lot of hours. There's a lot of investment, um, you know, both from a time perspective, you know, uh, there's a lot going on and a lot of responsibility, you can ask 10 out of 10 strength coaches, there's not enough time in the day, right? Um, it's just with that, you start to question how impactful you can be. And at that time, over the course of those months, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be the impactful coach that I knew that I could be. Um, I wasn't able to really hone in on how well I can serve. And, um, and I left. And so with that, I, I just, you know, I put myself you know, mentally in a position to say, Whatever I do next, you know, whatever comes next in my life. Um, at that time, I, I really didn't have much of an interest to get back into the game. I was thinking about leaving the field. I just didn't, I didn't want that to be the rest of my life of, you know, working eight hour, 80 hours a week and being all over the place and not having any time to spend with not only my girlfriend, but in the future, you know, raising a family, putting a roof on our heads, um, you know, having time to spend with them. It just wasn't a part of my my plan for my quality of life. And uh, so I, you know, I thought about going back to school uh, to be a teacher. I thought about working at a coffee shop first and foremost, right <laughs> when I left, I, I applied. Um, so I, I just, you know, at that time I was, my mental well-being was, was really challenged and enough for me to, you know, now being in the field for 10 years, enough for me to leave the field entirely and say, okay, time to start something new. This was fun, but you know, I can't do it anymore. And um you know, little, you know, again, the universe called again, and there ended up being an opportunity to build my business out of an MMA facility. So I had about 
350, 400 square foot max. And we decided, Hey, let's put some equipment in there and let's, you know, let's give this a shot. Right. We both had nothing to lose. And so I started the business a few weeks after that. And uh, in the dead of winter, when it's pretty, (laughs) pretty tough for private sector, (laughs) but I decided, Hey, December is the right time just before Christmas. And uh, (laughs) you know, it ended up, it ended up being, um, you know, exactly what I wanted it to be. Right. And I decided from, from then and there, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell this to anyone is that I confidently knew for a fact that whatever I would do next, I would prioritize my quality of life, both physically and mentally in that I wouldn't allow what happened to me to ever happen again. I wouldn't allow myself to put myself into positions where I wasn't able to operate the way that I know that I can. And, and whether that sacrifices opportunity didn't matter to me um, and it still doesn't, what matters most is, can I live a life right now as Vince Lucente, as, you know, the boyfriend, the son, you know, caretaker to my dog, dog two weeks ago, but can I, can I be the best Vince that I can be and strength conditioning, my job, my, you know, owning these businesses, being in this field is a vessel for me to help to better improve the lives of others. And as soon as, you know, I will bring on more opportunities if it doesn't, if it means that my quality of life as I perceive it to be, will be sacrificed. So I, I took that message on, I've lived it since, and, you know, we're two facilities in right now. And I'm so grateful to have a great group of coaches uh, to work with that we can all prioritize quality of life above all else. And, and that's where the business model comes in. It's, it's human first. It's taking care of ourselves as practitioners and understanding that I won't ask myself to work more than 24 hours a week, 25 hours a week of coaching. And I won't ask that from my coaches unless they absolutely want to, but we put a cap on it, right? right? You, you'll coach 25 hours a week because I know that's where we can really be impactful and Anything more than that is up to you, but I'm going to help to make it as worthwhile for you to be able to live your life as the person that you are and have your identity, not just be focused on your career so you can work so that you can live and not live to work. So um, I really wanted to change that narrative narrative for strength conditioning professionals, especially in the private sector. But, you know, we see it from all ends. This is a labor of love. It's a, it's a tough career path. And I believe too many coaches leave the field way too early. Too many great coaches that I've met in my career leave the field way too early because of lack of sustainability, uh, lack of quality of life, um, you know, time investment, et cetera. And we're really left with like left yearning to make more impact. And we're not able to because we're not sleeping. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're not eating well. We're often eating out. We're often you know, driving left, right, and center to get to the next session, this or that, you know, at the end of the day, it's okay. Time to get back to bed right out of the next day. And it's, you know, that's it. It's cool for some to each their own. But for me personally, it was one where I wanted to kind of flip that script over his head. And, and so the better that we're able to fill our cup, the better we're going to be able to serve everyone that we have, um, you know, throughout our programs here at ASP. And that's the number one priority. That's our business model above all, all else through our values. Yeah. And it's definitely, you know, a lot of us say, you know, human first and it's, you know, part of your mission statement and all this kind of stuff, but how often are we putting that 
you know, a mirror up to ourselves when it comes to that, right? Like we're preaching that with the athletes, like take a break from your sport and, um, you know, make sure that you're taking a break from your studies and reading other things and all this kind of other stuff. But oftentimes either we're not doing that at all as coaches and practitioners, or it's taking us 15 years before we figure it out. And the fact that you're, um, you know, shedding that light for not only yourself, but also the staff that you have and, and grooming these young coaches who are coming up that now that light doesn't go on for them when they turn 30 or 35, like, Oh my gosh, like the light <laughs> goes on at 25 and it's like, that's amazing. Right. And, and something that I have gone through as well in the past. And, and that's a big part of when I talk to other coaches too. And, and it is, Hey, like what, you know, we're going to talk about it too. Like what, what are your hobbies outside of the field? Right. And I had a teacher at, at Humber um, and this was talking about, you know, personal training in, in, in kind of club fitness, you know, but he was saying, you know, when you set your schedule, don't book more than he might have said three people, right? So don't have more than three people in a row, three personal clients in a row before you and then take a break, like block half hour off, get a snack, go whatever, and then do it again. And so when I started in the industry working in a, in a big, you know, one of those big box gyms, that's what I did. I said to the receptionist, Hey, block three, and then put a break. Like I'm not taking more than three people. And then I would look at the person's schedule beside me and they'd have 10 people straight. And I'm like, how do you, you're not eating like, and that, you know, hit my teacher's um, thought process, which is totally accurate. It is that seventh person. What is the quality of service that that seventh person's getting compared to the first person? And they're paying the same rate. And so, you know, that's not really great customer service. That's not really great. You know, in theory, they should probably pay less because they're getting less of you, your, your energy, right? Just because you're tired, you're a human being. So, you know, I started that a long time ago. And obviously, you know, you're in environments where that's not an option, but you, you've figured out how to shift your environment. Then if, if, if your life is a priority, which it should be, then you need to shift your environment. And that might be hiring more staff. If you're in the college setting where, Hey, I can't do it myself. I need to talk to administration. I'm burning out. I'm, I'm running out of steam. I need someone else to help me. Uh, or it may be like you, Hey, I'm going to say no to stuff. I'll know. I know it will come back around in another area, but I'm going to say no to this because I need the time to, to, to make sure that I'm refreshed. So that's, that's such a critical thing. You know, the, the, you hit the nail on the head burnout is so real. I don't know a single coach in this field that's never experienced it, but somewhere along the way, it's just become the nature of the beast where you, I, you just accept it and say, Hey, this is just the way things are. And seldom do you see coaches or professionals in this space that will cut that cloth you know, it's funny to think now how I lived the life that I did, even as soon as, as early as five years ago, it was very different. Um, it was a lot of just continuous, like you work all day, you work all night, you get a little break here, you're not eating, you're not sleeping, you're kind of like counting the hours of, you know, how much time can I sleep for? And, you know, <laughs> my, my last year was, you know, before I started ASP, that was the end of the line for me. That was, you know, I remember going to uh, the Swiss conference in Mississauga a few years back and Owen Lacey was presenting on, uh, he was doing a functional medicine presentation. And the first thing he asked was, 
how many of you are in the field of taking care of others? And, you know, everyone puts their hand up, right? We're all coaches, we're all practitioners of some sort. And then he, he followed that up with how many of you are taking care, how many of you would say you take care of yourselves at that same level? And right. you're looking at two or three hands. And why is that? Why, right. why do we put ourselves in that position because it's quote unquote the way that it should be or the way that it is for everyone. Everyone's in the same boat. Well, you know, again, it's either we are creating value for ourselves. If I can focus on my quality of life and I can say, I'm going to coach less, but I'm going to be so much more impactful. And I'm going to bring on coaches that can also learn from that. And we can all work together and collaborate. And if we're focusing on a less is more approach, which is again, one of our values here, then business will continue to come. It's all about impact and influence and value perceived by the, the person that you are working with at that time. It's your ability to be present. And so when you think about like, what's a gold standard session? What's a gold standard hour, a 10 out of 10 that you want to coach and lead? Can you do that every session? No, well then start at how many sessions do you think you can do a 10 out of 10 and focus wholeheartedly on that. If I know for myself, I can do four 10 out of 10 sessions, I'm going to build the heck out of that and build a great business off of working four 10 out of 10 sessions a day. And I'll get referrals and we'll work on, again, then it comes down to the business acumen. And that's where a lot of coaches don't focus on because they don't have enough time right. about focusing on how do you yeah. build a good business to allow you to live through your purpose as a performance professional. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's again, so refreshing, um, and unique that, that not, again, not only are you built, you know, you've saw that light yourself, but now I've built a business around that really core principle. And again, are impacting the next wave of professionals to start to think about this stuff much earlier and maybe never even get down that path of where you were and where I was before as well as questioning you know, you're, do you even want to be in this field anymore? Like, you know, that's, I'm sure if you look back on it now, you're like, I can't believe I even questioned that because I, I don't see myself doing anything else. But at that moment in time, you're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, like it's kind of this, this catch 22, right. And I've been there too. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's so cool. Um, you know, you mentioned the dog being a dog parent, um, we're going to get into the rapid fire and learn a little bit more about you, um, outside of the gym and outside of the weight room. And I'm excited to, to get through this, uh, this part. So what is your favorite movie? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> quick, 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 quick. Oh my gosh. I don't even, oh man. Um, wow. Jay, I'm stumped. I'm stumped well, on the first one. Le, le, yeah legit stuff uh the illusionist one of my one of my favorites the illusionist okay awesome uh favorite book doesn't have to be strength and conditioning related can be any book favorite book of all time that i read every year the alchemist okay uh favorite song or favorite artist musical artist wow okay uh <laughs> <laughs> uh i really i you know what i'll be that guy i i do listen to a lot of drake um that's typically my go-to, but I love all types of music. Okay, so. Awesome. Nice. Uh, favorite healthy food? Uh, easy steak. Steak. Okay. Uh, favorite guilty pleasure food? 
Dairy Queen Blizzard. What kind of blizzard? I just had a blizzard on the weekend. What kind of blizzard? Oh man. Uh, you go fancy or you just kind of have to go to Reese, Reese's Pieces, extra stuff. Okay. Now yeah, if you're going, go hard, right? You have to. Um, what's your favorite Canadian city that you visited? You know, you mentioned the first time getting out east was really impactful for you, but um, you know, what's your favorite Canadian city that you visited? Halifax. Just do okay. it size like so much more intimate, small, like even coming from Toronto, Halifax for sure. Yeah. Um, is there a Canadian city you'd love to visit that you haven't gone to yet? Yeah, I'd like to go to Vancouver. Awesome. Nice. Um, and then what about worldwide? Is there a favorite place you visited uh, worldwide? <laughs> oh, man, I haven't been. <laughs> I'm not that. Uh, I'm Your not parents that haven't taken you I've back home or what? <laughs> The parents, the parents haven't taken you back to, to Italy or what? Oh, that's that's number one. Rest assured, that's going to be on our honeymoon. I would love <laughs> to. Oh, I'd love to go. Like for us personally, I'd love to go to Rome, but I'd love to just visit all of Italy. Um, yeah, love to go to the Amalfi Coast. That'd be awesome. beautiful. Awesome. Uh, and then what's your favorite um, city? Oh, sorry. Favorite season. So spring, summer, winter, fall, you know, you, you have a favorite season. Yeah, love the I, I love the summer. It's just uh, again, just professionally and just personally, the summer's always, in my opinion, the best time of year. You know, I when I when I kind of have people on, I like to go through you know what separates them. Uh, I don't love the term expert, right? I think we're always trying to learn and, and should never feel like we're an expert. But I do think that the people do some things that separate them or their facilities, um, you know, from the pack. Or and sometimes it's an interest that that we like to dive into and. I think one of the things that separates you is that sports technology and, and, and sports science kind of piece that, you know, I saw a little bit when, when you were at Seneca starting to utilize that in that setting and now transitioning to the private setting, it's become a big piece of, of your model and, and just kind of, you know, we'd love to hear how you're integrated, what pieces you're integrating it. Uh, and also just how that really does, change or impact what might happen that day for that athlete or that group of athletes um you know when they walk in the facility as well as the logistics i think a lot of times you know we have you know we want to get this and that but logistically it doesn't always fit uh with what we're trying to do within a 60 minute session or, or a 45 minute session right so how are you guys implementing it and, and logistics of of you know when a kid or a client walks right through that door yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big fan of intellectual curiosity. I think that, you know, bringing sports science into the fold, you don't need a budget to do it. You know, you can, you know, Devin McConnell, his book, I'll never forget his book, Intent, and Justin, mm -hmm. Justin Rothenshaper, that book that they wrote, just go, just went to show you that you can, every day is an opportunity to do science. And it's just to better understand who you're working with and better understand the fact that with humility, better understand that you're able to just be less wrong. We're never trying to get more right. We're just, at the end of the day, everything is really an educated guess. And sports science, or just conducting science in a sport environment allows us to question ourselves again and again and again to be, continue to be more curious to how we operate the day-to-day -day and how we operate the long-term process. And there's a lot of power that we can have. And sports science 
applying it in a way that works for our context and environment to each their own just allows you to, again, just be a little bit more inquisitive about your operations, about how, you know, how things work. It, you know, in my opinion, N equals one, right? And this is general opinion among the sports science communities, N equals one. Everybody fits along their own individual curve. And so what may work for one person may not work for another. And what may have worked for that one person may not work for them at a different time of year or a different year in their uh, training age or development or their process, whatever it may be. Everyone fits along. It's our duty and our responsibility to find where does that person fit along their own natural curve. You can do that with a large budget. You can do that with zero budget. But all it's allowing us to do is to have better conversations. That's a priority. Sports science allows you to have better conversations and build a stronger dialogue to those whom you serve. So the more curious we are as practitioners, I think the more challenged we become. And using, yeah. you know, like you said, you said, so you, you know, you broke it down between sport tech and sport science. Yeah, they're different. You know, I think sport science is can be really daunting for some, but you have to think in like the simplest way possible. A subjective wellness questionnaire that you can do on Google Forms for free, that's science. You're doing science there. <laughs> you're collecting data. You're collecting evidence. You're then hypothesizing how, you know, what they're presenting today subjectively, which, you know, is a, quite a strong indicator of how their adaptive capacity or adaptive potential. Um, you know, if you educate on your educate your athletes on how to be honest with subjective well-being and knowing that it's not going to implicate playing time, you know, it's not going to implicate practice, etc. You're just trying to gather a better understanding. It's a very powerful tool, and it costs you zero dollars. And now you can have more focused conversations about how you can help them with their sleep, their energy, their mood, their soreness, stress. You know, you have to understand that you're not. We're not guaranteeing anything just because we use tech or just because we have more advanced means of being able to assess athletes. You know, you in the Matt Jordan says it best. You know. You have blue chips, the good, you have red chips, you know, the bad, the injury, the, you know, the maladaptation, et cetera. Using more tech, et cetera, doesn't guarantee that you're going to have all blue chips in that bucket. You may pull a red chip, right? An athlete may get hurt. They may underperform. They may maladapt. They may, you know, uh, be, you know, they may not have tapered well, you know, it's because we need to know the human body adaptation is extremely complex and we don't have all the answers. So from, from my standpoint, I use sport tech because I'm just, I, I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge our models. I want to gain a better understanding of why things don't work rather than why they do work. I don't want, like, it's fun to validate why what you do works, but it's even better to validate why some things don't work, in my opinion. I think that that humbles us as, as professionals to know that you can write a program and design it. But if you're not, again, trying to understand that person and trying to think from a scientific perspective, then that program can oftentimes not work for the desired adaptation, right? Like we aim to improve confidence of our athletes. That's like the number one KPI for the athletes is, did they jump higher fast? No, number one is, did they become more confident? Right. So some of them want to jump higher or run faster or whatever it may be. Totally cool. We are going to address that. We're going to prioritize it. But the number one above all of that is, are they more confident 
in their process and in themselves? Do they have better self-esteem, self-efficacy? Do they have less fear or apprehension to exercise that they used to have? Um, are they just more confident in themselves at school and you know in the field of play? That's number one. And then we're going to be able to like dig down and you know use deductive reasoning to provide a more you know holistic support to that person. But we're always thinking about the person first. We're always thinking about solutions and knowing that what you do is not always guaranteed to work. Nobody has the perfect program. No coach has the perfect system. There's no such thing. Everyone is different. No two people adapt the same. No two people respond the same to any given intervention. So we love using sports science to be able to help us to understand our people better. And yes, it can absolutely be daunting but the way that i look at it is that as you know professionals for us you know maybe this is a little bit too much but i believe that like as a coach you're accountable maybe not responsible but you're accountable for the success as the athlete perceives put that in of their athletes so i'm accountable for the success of my athletes what does success mean to them and do i know what success means to them and so now i'm accountable to that so if i go into every session and I don't think that these six people that I have in my session today, I am accountable for their success as they perceive it. How can I possibly reflect on my process after that? How is that going to help me to reflect and improve myself as a coach, practitioner, leader, mentor, et cetera? Chances are it's not. And I'm going to be going through the same day every, every day. But when I go in and I take data every day and I realize, wow, this athlete hasn't you know, had a success means a higher vertical jump to them and they haven't increased their vertical and they train three days a week and their verticals only gone up one centimeter. Well, I'm accountable for helping them to understand that, you know, I could either be over prescribing, I can be under prescribing. Um, I'm not, you know, inquiring as to like, I'm not taking care of their subjective wellness questionnaire. So I may be taking the data, but I'm not using it to actually have a conversation. So they could have been having no sleep the past right. couple of weeks. It could have been exam season. Um, they could have gotten sick. Uh, they could have gotten out of a relationship. Things could have happened at home. And those confounding variables may have affected them. They don't perceive, they don't cope with stress well. So psychological stress is going to impair them more than someone else, perhaps. And so that has a huge drop in their confidence. So by using tech, we're able to see every single day. I like to take a lot of data points because it helps us to get more robust trends. Um, that we can be disciplined about our process, about how we serve others. So, you know, it's a big, it's a big piece of what we do for all of those reasons. Yeah. Right? And then how does it, I mean, that's, that's exactly, I think how, how we should view it. Yes. It's, it's an undertaking. Yes. There's, you know, you're going to have to do some work on the back end to, to set it up and things like that, but are we turning over every stone, right? If that's our, our job is to make sure that we're providing the best that we can are we turning every over every stone even if it's something that maybe we're not super comfortable with right and and but if it's a big stone that maybe we can we can you know have a great effect on them then are we doing it and like you said there's a lot of resources i mean yeah um Devin and, and justin's book was was unbelievable and there's a lot of resources i think that are affordable that was the big piece you know, maybe five, seven years ago when all this started kind of coming up was like, well, you can't afford it anyway. Like if you're in the private sector or you're like a small school, like forget it, like don't even worry about it. 
And then you start really actually digging into it or these other resources become available and, and you're like, well, maybe we can't afford it. Or what is a priority for us? If that light, if you're working with a, you know, a high school or college level uh, student athlete, that lifestyle piece is huge. Are we able to see what's going on or, or just kind of like peek behind the curtain a little bit so we can ask uh, better questions, right? And that wellness questionnaire, that's a great way to do it. And it's free. So like that's right. easy into sports science, right? Or, or, you know, and then you can work towards other areas. You know, you mentioned it a little bit as far as, you know, taking a lot of data points throughout the week. How does that fit within your model as far as like session logistics? And then what does the model look like globally? And then, okay, they come in and they jump or they do this or they do that. And now what does that shift? So like, what's the general model? And, you know, and then where does the tech and the sports science come and uh, integrate with that or, or shift things around? Yeah, absolutely. So you, uh, you brought up a super valuable point with regard to like population specific application. And I'll never forget a few years ago, a coach was asking me, I had, um, you know, I was using elite HRV at the time just for myself. And I have the, uh, the, the oximeter and, um, you know, a coach asked me, he said, Hey, I have a group of, you know, that I want to get a Omega wave with. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's awesome, man. Like Omega wave is, it's great. It's, it's expensive, but if that's your priority to address, awesome. Who is your population? 13 year olds. How often are you seeing them? Bi-weekly. Omega wave is not for them right? Are you using, like, you're seeing them every two weeks. You have to think about, like, not all tech is, is, can be a priority at that time. What may be valuable now may not be valuable later. It's like, what fits with what you're trying to do, right? For us, I'm big on, you know, prioritizing neurological adaptation. We use a less is more approach. Rarely do we ever drive people, like, if ever, I don't think I, we ever drive people to mass fatigue. Our athletes leave the session better than when they arrived. So I like to prime neurologically the facets of our athletes. So that's what I assess for. So there are some variables that I'm going to address through our programs to be able to make sure that that athlete finishes better than when they come in and then tracking and monitoring load progression, volume, intensity, et cetera, um, response to training through subjective well-being. You know, we're tracking that over time. We have a ton of tools at our disposal. But another part is when you go the affordable route, you know, no matter what you get, are you even collecting good data? That's like for so many coaches that want to, I've had since I have Hawk and force plates, Hawk and Dynamics force plates yep. at both facilities. So I have a one here, one in Dartmouth. I've had so many coaches reach out to ask me, hey, I want to get force plates. Can you connect me? And my first question is always, are you ready to bring force plates in? There are 70 plus metrics to look at. And with that, are you even collecting good data? This is, this could not be more important. Is the athlete doing a good jump? in the first place are they like are they doing the standard is it standard or repeatable do you have everyone jumping the same way right if i'm going to bring g flights i'm going to bring push bands i'm going to bring whatever it may be do i know 
that it's not just turn it on and go. There's a process that you have to undergo and you can get, you know, look at this, look at how many poor decisions can be made or uh, quote unquote wrong decisions can be made because a coach took the wrong data, took garbage data for a month. So if a coach took bad data on the horse plates for a full month and it revealed a uh, quote unquote um, poor braking impulse asymmetry of 15% or greater, but when they jumped, they may have shifted and the coach didn't notice that they always shift over on that side. They were looking at the screen and just collecting jumps, or maybe they saw it, but again, a lot of assessments are subjective. They didn't really like pay attention to it. So the coach just gets the data. And for a month, we're seeing this massive impulse asymmetry index because they could probably jump really well, but they were, because it was on the force place, they just didn't feel so good. So they would just like twist in the air or turn that would affect things. So what decisions would I make based on that data? And would they be right? Well, the data was, was garbage data. And so let's say you also take a team, you go in and work in the varsity setting and a coach took a ton of data over the last five years for their cohort and you're presented with all of this, how much of that data was done correctly and what decisions were made for the betterment of the athlete that were made off of poor data collection. That happens so, so, so very often. So for us, our model is collect great data first. That's like, before we make decisions, I'd like to see that every athlete, you know, when they jump on the force plates, do they know how to jump on the force place? Do we have a standard of execution of how we want our athletes to jump on the force place? Um, you know, for us, every athlete goes on the plates, does uh, three counter movement jumps, right? They'll do one or two practice jumps at like a six or seven out of 10. We need to get people comfortable to step on a platform with their peers looking at them yeah. and jumping confidently. That's another thing to consider. So we just try to find standard and repeatable assessment practices then we make sure that we're collecting great data and then we collect enough data points over time to say, okay, once we have 25 plus data points for that athlete, now we can start making decisions. So we want to make sure that we've collected en enough data to be able to say, okay, we, we get this athlete now. We're seeing some changes, aberrations, et cetera, but we're mostly prioritizing our subjective assessment of that athlete. So uh, in those, in that first month or two, when they're testing, we have every athlete that comes in after warm-up, they test on the force plates. Um, we have timing gates at the athletes for their sprint work. They'll do a 10 meter test. We have dasher timing gates that they'll use. They'll take subjective wellness to be a train heroic. And again, it comes with the education. You know, train heroic does a great job of putting a little descriptor at the bottom of what a four, a five, a three, a two, a one are. We just want to help them to understand, hey, if you say you're a two at the end of your wellness score, advance, I'm a 2.4 today are you really a 2.4, right? Um, at the end of the session, when we gather RPE, we just put it flat at make sure the time variable is always 60 minutes. If you went over or under, it's okay. Just put 60 and then put your perception of fatigue. Do you know what an eight out of 10 is of an SRPE? When you put eight out of 10, this is what it should have been like. Does that align with your perception, your subjective well-being there? Yes. Okay, perfect. So it's Education is the priority to build an efficient practice with regard to sports science, um, bringing velocity-based training into the fold, right? First, it's get athletes used to training under the device to have it on their bar, and you're just using it. They're just, hey, just get reps, get used to hearing dings, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not being objective. The first couple of weeks that someone uses BBT, 
you're going to see fluctuations left, right, and center because they're learning how to use intent right. to adapt. So some athletes come up for the sake of coming up in their squats. Well, I can use VBT not as a tool to analyze from, but really as a tool to build context for that person on how to drive through the bar. And maybe I'll set a little velocity threshold there to help them say, hey, like I'm looking for like something 0.8. I'm not going to tell them that's what I'm looking for. But hey, if we put this on, if you hear a ding, that's, you know, tying in with the external cue I provided, you know, push into the bar or push the floor. It's going to help to bridge the gap between the external cue, your perception, my eye on how I see things. And then the, the quote unquote validation from the device beeping, dinging, saying, yes, you did do a good rep and you, you, you know, attained a, a good velocity. But I'm not using that to say, hey, effort index time for a person that's first used VBT at, hey, 10% drop-offs, 5%, whatever it may be, this specific velocity range, tight windows. No, no, no. Everyone has to kind of earn the, the use of advanced means of tech and prescription. So yes, you know, we can use VBT for kids to build context. We use output sports right now. And output sports is absolutely fantastic. They're a Swiss army knife uh, when it comes to tech, you know, you can do range of motion assessments on there, Nordic, you can uh, Nordic breaking points, balance assessments, vertical jump. You can put it on their foot. They can sprint to change direction. You can get virtually anything off of it. VBT. Um, so I can use that for a kid and teach them how to create context into an implement and they can hear that bing and they're, they're competing with themselves, but that's how we're building it into the environment is making sure that like it's built off of foundation of education which then helps the athlete to hit the second layer of empowerment, which then allows them now to have an understanding of what that, what that force plate means. I want kids in our long-term athletic development program, 12, 13 year olds to see a force time curve and say, Oh, when I went slow down, Oh, that's why that was all wavy. Or I went down hesitant. Like right. we're using that as the priority. And then we're going to guide our decision-making once we have enough data points, but you know, we're trying to make it, part of the process, I've mentioned this before, is that like, don't bring on sport tech. If like, can you raise the size of the cup for your athletes first? Like, can your athletes, do you know principally how to get athletes stronger in the first place, right? Like, do you have athletes that have the strength to warrant, you know what I mean? Extra tech. Do you, are your sessions already logistically sound? Um, are they time sensitive? Are they, you know what I mean? Like, have you yeah. started with the, with the lowest hanging fruit? Have you started with subjective wellness? Have you started with hydration? Have you started with uh, session RPE? Right. Have you mastered those for your population? Do your athletes understand that? Okay, cool. Use a tape measure on the wall for vertical jump right now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah, maybe invest in these but you know, broad jump, whatever yeah. it may be, right? Yeah. Like it's going to be a part of the process. It's going to be a part of the environment. But first, Am I getting to know that person better by using the lowest hanging fruit? We have our sessions down to where we need them to be. We have two coaches on the floor with our athletes. Ideally, that's what we aim for. And we'd like to have an intern or two to be able to make it even easier. Um, but that's the way that we run it. And after that, you know, my role now is having coaches on the floor, but I'm taking care of the sports science, the actual decision-making, the, Hey, I'm looking at the force plate data. I'm not expecting my coaches to be masters at VBT and 
uh, force plates and looking at like, I don't use the same metrics on the force plates for every single athlete. I have certain criteria based on what I've learned from other coaches and mentors on what metrics they look at. I try to tie that in with certain sports and certain, you know, athletes of different populations. Um, so I have, I might have five metrics for one sport, eight metrics for another. There's just some things that I look at that are different. If I have athletes that are returning to sport, we're going to look at some more asymmetry metrics, but there's some that are equal across, but then there's others that are just a little bit more specific if they're developmental or elite, or if they play hockey, there's some metrics that are a little bit more um, transferable that I found at least versus basketball. And they're the strength conditioning coaches. They're the coaches that are going to administer the program, design the program. And we're working like an integrated support team as part of our model now. That's where we're moving towards now, where I'm taking care of sports science for what it is, because trying to be a strength coach, trying to do really well with the sports science side, especially as more, more things come into the mix, trying to, it's, it's just, it's a lot of time. And again, with my quality of life, I know how many hours I want to be on the floor and um, analyzing and spitting out what we have to do for certain athletes that I look at it and say, okay, I need to take more of a sports science role and limit my coaching hours. And then that empowers my coaches to get them more hours on the floor. And then they're learning the sports science side as time goes on. So and that's allowing us to have better impact because we're not trying to wear all. It's good to have the hats on the shelf to know that I could grab a hat if I want to on, you know, on a diverse array of skill sets. But I'm in on the floor. I'm going to be expected to have a couple of them, maybe one or two hats for some sessions to really hone in on. But I have the other hats available to me. I'm still able to get into the sports science side, have discussions. So, um that's where we want our coaches to be that expert generalist, but know that like, when you're on the floor, okay, these are our KPIs from a coaching perspective. And then these are my KPIs on a sports science perspective. And we're just trying to, again, everyone has autonomy, everyone, you know, again, I'm accountable. Our coaches are accountable for the success of those athletes and we're just working together. Yeah. So if, you know, you kind of mentioned that you might mention to a coach that you want to take a certain assessment that particular day or with that particular athlete, is there a change that happens that day to what I was originally prescribed? Does it shift if Monday's focus was supposed to be something, but my body is maybe, you know, showing that I'm, you know, ready to take on something that might've been on Wednesday. Do I, do you shift it for that kid or that group? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, I, I like athletes. Again, I think it's really important for athletes to earn their place, right. To know that, Hey, I'm not just, again, it's not like a video game where if I just walk down, like we gamify it, right? It's like to be able to get to the next level, like you have to work for it, right? You have to earn it. You know, nobody plays video games that run down a straight line and you automatically win without trial or challenge. So they earn more advanced kind of like progressions, more advanced assessments day to day, if you will. But I'll look at, you know, our coaches know the day-to-day -day things that we're addressing. So everyone knows on the sports science side, we're going to look at a few metrics and we're going to look at a force time curve on the force plates. We're also going to triangulate that with subjective perception of the athlete. What's their body language like when they come in the room? Um, how do they feel? We're going to ask them how they feel. So these are the, these are the KPIs we're hitting. They have subjective wellness. They might say they're, they're a five, but they may have walked into the environment, super tired, dragging, 
you know, feeling awful. Then you ask them how they feel. They say they feel good. You can see them favoring their back or their knee as they're going through warm-ups. We can see movement aberrations. And then the force plates just confirm it to us, right? Objectively. That like you can't really, you can change your strategy, but the way we use our force plates is that if you get the same jump output, we can look at counter movement depth. We can look at stiffness. We can look at MRSI. We can assess that even if the jump height's the same to say, you went through your solution space diversified today to be able to get that output. So you had to sit deeper in your squat. Your propulsive impulse was, uh, or your, we'll say breaking impulse, for example, because that's more sensitive. Your breaking impulse was affected. It was 5% down. You dip down an extra five centimeters into your depth. Um, your force at that minimal displacement and stiffness at that displacement was also lower but you still got 40 centimeters. Like you're, you're not, you're not as ready as you lead yourself to believe. Right. right. So with that, it's not like we're telling them, Oh, Hey, you're tired. It's that, Hey, we're just going to change some things today because this is what we're seeing. Right. Uh, an asymmetry popped up today. You had two games this past weekend. It's Monday. You're tired. Or you, you went out this weekend that happens like, okay, cool. That's awesome. So, Hey, it's all good. We're going to stay as close to planning as possible. So, you know, if I look at those raw metrics, we're going to make a change, but then I'm also going to look at the force time signature and it doesn't change dramatically, but it will change if an athlete is going through a different strategy to accomplish that jump height. If they are tired, they're going to show a deficiency where they may hit a high peak at the bottom of their displacement of their, of their force. And then you may see a big drop off between peaks in the bimodal nature of it. Um, or again, like, movement efficiency is dependent on force time tracings, but we may just see an aberration in the tracing between breaking isometric and propulsive indexes that leads us to say, okay, you know what? Your propulsive impulse, that area under the curve or just the nature of that curve is affected today. Let's try to pump it up a little bit. Let's do some concentric only work for today. Or maybe we're seeing that the breaking the force time tracing on the braking side on the way down has possibly presented an asymmetry or has inefficiencies. It's wiggly. It's not a straight line or maybe it's sloped here. They're taking more time. Um, they're isometric phase. They might have a big drop off. They might go deep eccentric. They might have a big drop off after they hit that ISO phase. So maybe you want to do some, you know, enters drop catches into the warm up, depth drops, low, low height, uh, altitude drops, things like that, right? Where we're able to then look at that and say, hey, maybe we'll shift Wednesday's session to today. We had, you know, the end of the week is a concentric based session. Cool. We're just going to flip the script. And it's not like, oh, let's hope Friday you're better. It's that, okay, well, if Friday you're still not presenting it, well, maybe that's on our part to maybe have more days of the week that are concentric, you know, concentrically oriented or emphasized to be able to help that athlete. So you have a, you mentioned it a little bit. You have a concentric only day and isometric, like is that isometric day and eccentric day? Is that kind of what your over arching kind of weekly structure will look like? And then that may get shifted based on how they're presenting with these other, other things. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll um, have, it depends on where the athletes at. So right. we'll have, um, it, it kind of goes like through our system. We go from an extensive to, intensive approach focusing on an eccentric day an iso and a concentric day that's like if someone is training three days a week 
Um, if they're not, then we're trying to balance out, balance that out in two days a week. So when we prioritize contraction specific training extensively to intensively, we're really helping to create adaptations that are specific to that contraction type. But that doesn't mean that again, like you can still do regular squats throughout an entire program and you'll still get some adaptation across all three contraction types. But if you hyper-focus on one, you have potential to improve it that much more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's so cool just to hear how you're, you know, you first, like you said, you have a system first, this is the way that, you know, we're going to be on a three day or two day or whatever. And then now that when we integrate our technology, this is how it's going to shift where that person sits. So it's not like we're just collecting for, for, for no reason. Or also once we get it, we don't know where to go with it. And now you know exactly where to go with it because you have your system overlaid over top of that. And you know, you know, we're going to shift this or that. And it may be just within a couple exercises. It may be shifting the entire day over or pushing it or whatever. And then if it becomes a trend, now it now we have to have another conversation or we have to shift the entire thing, you know, this way or that way um, so that we can clear up whatever kind of issue was being presented. So, um, you know, you've done a great job of, of putting every all of those systems behind in the background so you can make those quick decisions, right? Like, you know, you, you mentioned that off the top and, and, you know, what led you down this path and, and created, you know, the model that you're using as, as far as life, life choices and lifestyle and, and, and life priority. And if you could jump into a time machine, one of my favorite movies is back to the future. Um, <laughs> you know, so if you could jump in the DeLorean, you know, is there a time or situation in, in your career that you'd go back to offer some guidance to your younger self and, I think you're doing a great job now of creating that situation for your staff. Um, but is there a time that you'd like to go back to? Yeah, absolutely. I think looking back, I wouldn't be where I am now or have the thought process that I have now or the philosophy or in general, if I hadn't had struggled as much as I did, you know, the adversity I had in the past, the struggle I had led me to learn about things and, pay more attention to certain facets because I was forced to out of, again, you know, it's always out of necessity, right? I needed to find a way out. I needed to find a way to have a quality of life. I'd sacrifice relationships with my family. I would just often just not connect with my family or friends or so it was always out of necessity out of, Hey, like your work, like working as much as you are and you're just trying to read other things and learn about other things or speak to different people. I wouldn't take any of that back, but I would say I could have definitely sped up that process. You know, if I could go back, I would tell myself, you know, you know that you're just paying your dues, Vince, you know, 19, 20, 23 year old, even Vince, you're paying your dues, but this is not the only way, right? I wish that I had been, you know, I wish that I had been a little bit more sensitive to my life outside of the career and not, you know, put everything aside for knowing that I, I probably could have done a lot um, outside, you know, my identity was 95% strength coach. So I, I would tell myself, Hey, like, you know, try to make a living, you know what I mean? Like have a life 
have an identity, focus a little bit more on that. Um, Cause I know that I didn't do that. I know that I was just focused on here, 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 this, 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 yeah. keep reading, keep working, keep working, keep working. Yeah. You know, Joe, actually Joe Vecchioni told me this, you know, a couple of years ago when we were working together. It's like, what's the means to the end? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the end game? And I wish I would have told myself like, Vince, what's your end game? Are you going to continue to live like this? Right. Yeah. What is it? What, what's the end? What does it look like? Where are you when you're 40? I wish I would have, you know, had that, had someone there to say, you know, where's it going? Yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. And again, your, your honesty is, is being unreal. And um, yeah, sometimes it's as easy as saying, take a Friday off. I got you this session. You know, sometimes that small thing that, you know, when you're working with other people can be the difference between like, you know, that was so great to get away. Right. And I know a lot of practitioners now that we're hitting the summertime, you know, every other Friday I'm off, I'm talking to my girlfriend about that right now. She's a massage therapist and athletic therapist. And it's like, you know, she's like, you know, I think every other Friday or two, every third Friday, I'm going to take it off or I'm going to whatever. Right. So we can go kayaking, we go biking, we can see our family, whatever. And I think that's like, yeah. So one point never, you know, 10, Five, like you said, five or seven years ago, I'd be like, no, 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 no. We got to work. We got to da, 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 da. And now I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Right. Like, because it's so important. Um, you know, it's been a theme of, of, of your journey. You know, do you have a specific escape that you, when you step away to recharge the batteries, to, to get away from the field, do you have something specific that you, you like to do to escape? I'm trying right now. My, my biggest priority has been to, um, remove perpetual availability from my life that's been something you know every lockdown that we have during COVID teaches me a different lesson um, that I grow from and adapt from and this one is just don't have your phone on you you know what I mean or just be honest and say I'm you know this weekend I'm I'm not available you know um, telling that to athletes and clients and saying straight up hey you know I I'll get back to you on Monday this weekend I'm off, you know what I mean? Like getting the dog and, you know, spending, you know, last week, it's like, I need to spend time with him. He, you know, he helped again, even dogs teach you a lesson, right? You know, there you see them mature every day, you know, he's turned eight weeks on Friday and it's like, we've had him for nine days now. And it's like, if I had spent all my time on my phone, answering everybody's messages and all that, how would, how would I help him to, you know, mature the way that he has now because I haven't spent time on my phone anything can wait so for me my escape is just honesty um, I go for walks every single day every morning I'm out for a walk every night after supper Nikki and I go for a walk that's something that we're trying to prioritize now is taking time away from our phone spending time outside it's great weather but also just not um, you know being okay and I think this is something that more coaches really need to hear that tends to resonate with a lot. The more, you know, that I bring it up is that it's okay to not always be available. You, you know, limit your communication mediums. If your clients have your phone number, your Instagram, your trainer of DM, your Facebook messenger, it's, I have a separate phone line for our business that I pay for. So when people text me, they text, they're really, the number that they're texting is a business number that's on an app that I don't have notifications for. So unless I click it, I'll answer, but it's setting time to say, I will get to everyone every day, 
but only during these hours that I've set for myself. So I will be 100% present with you, but it's only going to be from for these two hours every day. So you'll hear from me, but it's only going to be at this time. You can't be paying attention to the phone with the puppy. It's going to be peeing, peeing all over the place, number one. <laughs> yeah. Number two, the dog. We have a dog as well, and it, it, it's been a life saver over the pandemic because yeah, the dog walks, the, the mid, you know, we're going to go after this and, and just to clear your head and, and things like that. I think you brought up, you know, the interesting part about notification, something I've been thinking about as well, just because of the age that we live in, as far as digital age, people feel like you're within reach all the time. And so how do you create that buffer? Like you said, you create a business phone number. That's a, that's, and you set it where I can't, you know, it's not going to notify me. Or do you play around with your phone settings as well within the apps that, you know, people communicate with you? WhatsApp groups, do you mute notifications at certain times? Do you do things like this with your phone? Um, because yeah, that's such such an important, important part. Um, yeah, I just, again, want to thank you so much. There was so many great things there and not just about the X's and O's and how you guys are utilizing the tech piece in sports science within your daily environment, but but also just a lot of these messages around self-care and, and prioritizing yourself and filling your cup. But, you know, I'm a big proponent of, and, and so it's great to hear that again, you're, you're doing it yourself, but also passing it on to, to your staff as well and, and prioritizing that and, and they can grow up, quote unquote, grow up in this field with that present, that front of mind, not the grind, you know, grind culture, front of mind which we want to try to get away from so um yeah i just wanted to thank you again for coming on and so great to hear that you, you guys are killing it out there and no, i really appreciate it jay thank you so much as well again you know it's always uh it's always awesome to you know be able to connect with people like yourself and you know um beyond just the x's and o's i think that's that's where we're hitting a sort of golden age in the field right now and i think you know more coaches are beginning to understand that quality of life is a thing. Um, burnout is a reality. Mental health is important. Um, you know, these are going to be facets that need to be addressed in the field now, uh, for career sustainability and effectiveness. And again, you know, for more coaches to understand what does, you know, what does wealth mean to you and strive to be able to, to live according to that and say, what, you know, what exactly do I need out of my life? Um, you know, what do I need to afford, et cetera? And how can I be the most impactful that I can um, and just live according to that? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time. And now uh, we'll catch up again real soon.